I want to go right on to the next crown, and that's the crown of glory that the Scripture talks about. Remember I said last week that there's two different words for crown in the Greek? The one is the diadema, which is the imperial crown. That is inherited. It's not earned. The diadema is in, is inherited. It's like a king's son becoming the king, and it's passed on down from generation to generation. The diadema is one that is is inherited, and no child of God, by the way. Now, let's write this down if you want to write something down. No child of God will ever inherit a crown. No child of God will ever inherit a crown. You earn a crown. Understand what I'm saying? Just because you got saved does not mean you're going to have a crown. The crown, the word for crown that's used here concerning the believer is the word stephanos, and it means an earned reward or a recompense. How many of you know if you go and work 40 or 50 hours a week, work very hard at a job, when the, when the boss pays you, you did not inherit that paycheck, you earned that paycheck. You earned that salary. Well, that's the same thing, the difference between a diadema and the stephanos. Uh, it, it was familiar to the Greek, and when the Greek heard that word stephanos, it indicated to the Greek people on that day that the Christian walk was a life of contest. It was a struggle. It was a race. Paul talked about that crown that they received, and they knew that that was the crown that was received in the Olympics back in that day, what they called the Olympics back then. Today we call them the World Olympics. And it represented exertion and competition and striving, and only a few were going to win. The Greeks understood exactly what Paul was talking about here when he was, or James, when he was talking about, when he talked about a crown. You see, the Greek contestants back in that day would train for 10 months solid, wouldn't let up continuously. They'd forfeit foods, they'd forfeit the time with, of affection with their wives or their sweethearts, they, uh, whatever. they wouldn't have any sweets whatsoever, they had to eat very restricted diets, they had to know exactly what was best for them. Of course, every year that we live today, when more and more science, uh, scientific studies are being done, we're finding that many of the diets are changing what they used to be today to today when somebody is training for exercise. But they would pay any price whatsoever. They would exercise in every kind of weather. It didn't make any difference to them. How many of you have seen guys that are going out for football or basketball out when it's raining like crazy and they're running down the street, water running off their head and everything? You know, they wouldn't do that if they, I mean, if you paid them to do that, they wouldn't want to do it. But boy, they're doing it because there's a possibility they're going to earn something. That something's going to come to them at the end. That's what Paul's talking and, and James are talking about here. Uh, the Stephanos back then, for all the work that they did, was just a little old crown of oak leaves. And true today, too, Paul says, we must realize the reason we must strive to enter in is because, 2 Corinthians 5.10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. The Bema. The word there is Bema. And that's the judge's stand from which the umpire would stand to watch the races or watch the competition when they got all through, whoever was the winner, he would call the winner up onto the bema to receive his reward. It was not inherited. Just because his father, the, an athlete's father, won the, the crown did not mean that the son, when he came and automatically got a crown, the son had to win everything himself when he came up on the bema. He would come up breathing heavily, I'm sure, trembling, perspiring. Of course, nowadays they give him a big break and let him go in and clean up and put on new garb and everything else before they come out and stand on the bema. Back in those days, the minute they would win, they were able to come right up on the bema and receive their reward. Oak leaf, crown on their brow. May I tell you that the, the bema is not going to be available to Lily Baptist 
Remember what a lily baptist is? They toil not, neither do they spin. Jesus spoke of the lilies. He said they toil not, neither do they spin. And someone said there are a lot of lily baptists today. They sit back and hold their hands and wait till Jesus comes. They're not going to be a bema. They're not going to be a reward for lily baptists. Only for those who do what God tells them to do. Salvation, being saved, is not enough to get a crown. It's wonderful to be saved, but it's not enough to get a crown. There's no free gifts, no reward for receiving the gift of salvation from God. When we talk about crowns, we're talking about an effort put out on our part. It's a place to receive a reward for winning the race, for overcoming the obstacles in Jesus' name. That verse in 2 Corinthians 5.10 goes on and says, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. The reason I'm trying to teach you these things is that I, I'm trusting the Spirit of God will put a desire in your heart that you will receive a Stephanus, a crown. You know, if, you, if no one sets anything out in front of you, then you have no goal. And if you have no goal, usually if you aim for nothing, you'll hit it with perfect accuracy. But once God has placed a goal in your heart, I don't care about anyone else, but I am going to run the race, keeping my eyes on Jesus Christ. I'm going to win if no one else does. God, I want everything you've got for me. I don't want to get there empty-handed. I don't want to get there ashamed when I stand before the Lord. Look at 1 Peter, the 5th chapter. 1 Peter 5, 1. Peter says the elders or the pastors or the shepherds, same word, the elders which are among you I exhort who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God. Now, isn't it interesting that it's Peter that tells us feed the flock of God because when Jesus corrected him or uh, restored him, what did he say three times to him? Feed my sheep. Feed my lamb. Feed my sheep. Three different times. So Peter hasn't... One thing about Peter, once he learned a lesson, he learned it well. So he says, feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof. And it's interesting that study of the word oversight speaks of authority. Not by constraint, but willingly. Not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. Neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of what? Glory that fadeth not away. Likewise, ye younger, submit unto the, yourselves unto the elder. Yea, let all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. Let me read the first four verses to you out of the Living Bible. And now a word to you elders of the church. I too am an elder. Remember in Revelation when Jesus spoke concerning the pastors of the church, he spoke, to them, spoke of them as what? Stars in his hand. That's right. Now, the elders are those who God has called into a position to minister. He says, I too am an elder with mine own eyes. I saw Christ dying on the cross, and I too will share his glory and his honor when he returns. Fellow elders, this is my plea to you. Beat the flock. I'm sorry. Excite the flock. No. Flog the flock. No, that's what it said. It says, feed the flock of God. Care for it willingly, not grudgingly. Not for what you will get out of it, but because you are eager to serve the Lord. Don't be tyrants, but lead them by your good example. And when the head shepherd comes, your reward will be a never-ending share in his glory and honor. 
the crown of glory is not going to be for everyone. It's for those who minister faithfully, those whom God has called to minister faithfully. If God has called you into an office ministry, and you faithfully minister in that office, then you'll receive in that day a crown of glory. It's interesting how God has five different crowns, and one of them specifically for those he has called out and chosen for office ministry. I think it'd be interesting for us to study what constitutes a faithful minister when we talk about a crown of glory. Who's going to receive a crown of glory? Is it the one who has it? Uh, the one who has a little tiny churches out in the end of dead end row in Skunk Hollow is not going to get one because he wasn't successful? Or is it going to be the one that's going to be given to the ones that have these great big churches? Is it going to be the televangelists they're going to have it? Who's going to have it? You know, the scripture tells us very clearly how we can discern who's going to have a crown of glory in that day. And the first thing we have to know is, I want to make it very clear to you because some people think that they're a special, there's something special and unique about them. Uh, every one of them are, uh, constitutes just a man. Would you look at John, the first chapter? You know, sometimes we forget that even though God calls someone into ministry, that does not make them supernatural. They're still a man. John, the first chapter, verses 6 through 8. The first thing I want you to see, there was a what? A man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. See the purpose of God calling a man? That people might believe through that man's ministry and through that man's word. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. Now, John the Baptist, sent of God, called of God, but still a man. It was the same John the Baptist who said, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. Same John the Baptist who later on as a man said, Go and ask him if he's really the one or not. When he was in prison, remember? I mean, he really had some second doubts and questions. Are you really the one? And he said, Go back and tell him that the blind see and the deaf fear and the dead are raised and all the things that were said. Just go back and reassure him. I mean, John was a man of God, called of God, but he was just a man. I think of Abraham, the father of faith. And yet it was Abraham whom God says, Go into this land that I shall show you, and don't take any relatives with you. And Lot went with him. He got into trouble. He was a man. He still made mistakes. Let me tell you something. If you're ever trying to find a pastor or a leader that doesn't make a mistake, you're in trouble. They're all men. They get up every morning and put their pants on just like any other person. They have to scratch their head just like any other person. There's times when God gives them discernment and there's other times when they don't, they can't see anything and they don't understand it. But if God doesn't show them, they can't. How about the prophet when the widow came that who God had told this widow she'd have a son. And she came to the prophet and uh, he said, what's the matter? And she said, all is well. And the prophet said, the Lord wouldn't let me see what was wrong. Wouldn't tell me what was wrong ahead of time. Before that, I mean, this prophet could tell you anything that was happening everywhere. But in that case, God, let me tell you something. If you're in the ministry and God closes your eyes on something, either none of your business or he wants you to realize that he's still in charge and he's still in command. But every, a man of God doesn't have all nine gifts all the time. He's still a man and he's still going to make mistakes. And you have to keep your eyes, not look at them like they're perfect. They may be examples, but watch it. They can slip and fall as they do. Turn your eyes off of them and put them back on the Lord. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. Follow me, follow me, follow me. But there may come a time when something could happen to me. In that case, you follow Christ. Only follow me as I follow Christ. But he was a man. I think of Samson. I mean, mightily used, picked up the gates of the city, uh, killed uh, 
scores of Philistines with the jaw of an ass, a jawbone of an ass, and yet he was a man. He met Delilah, and he fell. I think of Moses, the humblest of all men, used mightily of God, goes in and performs all the miracles in Egypt, and then God's going to speak to the rock. And he had had it with that crowd he was working with. Bunch of bullheads, bunch of stubborn mules. He said, do we have to bring you this water? And God said, okay, for that you do not go into the promised land. But you have to realize when God calls men, that does not make them supernatural. They are just men. How about Elijah? Up there on the mountaintop, I mean, 300 prophets of Baal. And he outshined them all and God answered his prayer and the fire fell down and consumed the altar and all the water and everything else. And then all the prophets of Baal were slain and then what happens? The next day he's running and crying and says, oh man, Delilah's after me. You know, it's easier to face 300 false prophets than it is one woman. That's the that's lesson you've got to learn from this. You've got to be careful. David, a man after God's own heart, and said later on that David was upright in everything except that one time. I don't know what. God wanted us to see he was a man. There's going to become a crown of glory, but the first thing is you have to realize that none of us are super, superhuman. We're weak. He's a man. Now, first of all, he is a man, but he's a called man. That's the difference. You know, that's why I say to young people, you don't, you don't obey your father and mother because they're perfect. You obey your father and mother because they're your father and your mother. Wives, you don't obey your husband because they're perfect. The only one that's perfect is the one that's already died. It's the second one you keep telling how perfect the first one was. You think? You know, something I just have to think about. I've never experienced that. That hasn't happened in my life. But you have to realize that when someone is called of God, it's the office that you respect. It's not the person. I'm, I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of men up in, in that quote, office that you have to be very careful to make sure they've been called of God. A lot of people get an itch to, to speak, an itch to have power and authority, and they'll take and jump into the situation, even though they're not qualified concerning scriptures, from the scriptures, not qualified to be in place of leadership. Now, that's not his fault. That's your fault if you follow them. See, some people want to blame the preacher. No, 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 no. The Word of God very clearly defines what are the requirements of a pastor, and if they're not following that, you should not follow them. In fact, God judges them, and God judges those that follow them. Not only that, but the spirits that are in that person will sooner or later get down into your children, and one or two generations away, you'll see the fruit of following after a false prophet, one who's not what God wants them to be. He's a called man. Ephesians, the fourth chapter. Would you turn to it with me? For Paul's talking about our walk in the Lord. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. Now what does that mean? Look at verse 17. This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. There should be a difference in our walk when we come to Jesus Christ. And he's talking about the average believer here let alone those in leadership. He should, we should walk worthy of the vocation wherewith we are called. If we're Christians, whatever vocation we're in, we should walk as Christians in that vocation that's worthy of being called believers in Christ. 1 Corinthians, the first chapter, and verse 1. 1 Corinthians 1.1 1, 1, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes our brother. All to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God. 
there is a definite call that should be on one who's in the ministry. And I can go back and tell you that there came a time in my life, if there's anyone who did not want to become a minister, if there's anyone who did not want to study, if there's anyone who hated to read, hated to study, and did not then despise school, it was your pastor. When I got out of high school, I used to write on my books in high school, in case of fire, throw these in. In case of flood, throw these in. You see, I, I just didn't like high school. I, I just got through high school, barely got through high school. I wasn't a Christian all the way through until my senior year. And when I got out of there, you know, I said, in case of flood, stand on these. They're dry enough. That's what I wrote in my book. And when I got out of Bible college and God called me and put it on my heart that I was to go to Bible school, I made every excuse in the world. Why not? I said, God, you're going to have to prove this to me. You couldn't possibly be calling me that. You know, God has done this all my life. If anyone should never have written a book, it's me. I don't even like to write letters. You should see my phone bill sometimes. I hate to write letters. I'd rather call my sister and call my brother and call her. How you doing? And talk to them. Now, next time you send me a letter, I'll call you again. I hate to write. But you know, God will take the most unlikely characters and somehow use them. And I've already told you that when I told God if he wanted me to Bible school, he's going to have to work it out. He literally step by step packed my bag and sent me to Bible college. And every time I tried to get out of it and would go back home, he would just make these things turn around. I always said, Lord, if this is where you want me to be, then I'll be there. But if you don't want me to be there, I'll be glad to go home. I've already been told I've got a job at home and I've already told them to let me go to college and they pay for my college. I went to regular college. And every time God would shut that door and put me right back where I was. And when I got done, I, I had to thank God put me here. And then when God called me into the ministry, I did, I went to school thinking, I'll go to school, but God, I don't want to be a preacher. I want to go out and do sales or something like that. You know, I don't want to be a preacher. I was in that room in the dormitory and I was praying one day and God put his hand on me and called me into the ministry. And I struggled. I wept there. And I said, God, I'm not I'm not willing to go at all in the ministry unless you'll promise me right now to go before me, after me, above me, below me, around me, in me, and through me. Because if I get out there, I know I'll blow. I know all that stuff unless you take full charge. And that's when he gave me Joshua 1.9 as my verse. Be not dismayed, neither be, that, be, be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou go. That was the promise he gave me. Now I want to tell you something. That was in 1955, I think, 54, 54, 40 years ago. And he's never failed me once in 40 years. And I look back to the very fact of God, why am I in Lake Mary? Because I put you there. How long do you want me to stay there until I tell you to leave? What do you want to do? Just be faithful. Oh, it's easier things to do. But when you're called to God, you've got to do what God tells you to do. Understand that? 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 12 and 13. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which are labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their works' sake and be at peace among yourselves. Now that term up there in verse 12, are over you, is proistomai, and it means be the head of, to rule, be the chief, or to be set over. By the way, I didn't write that. And I don't like it. I wish you didn't say that. Because it's like Truman said when he was in the White House, the buck stops here. I'm responsible. 
And he said there, among you and are over you in the Lord to admonish you. And again, that word means to be the head of, to rule, to be the chief, to set over. First Timothy, the fifth chapter, verse 19 and 20, excuse me, 19 through 21. Against an elder, receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. Now, I want you, that means at least two or three witnesses, at the very least. It wasn't too long ago, I was talking with someone and had witnesses there, and they said, why did you have so many witnesses there? The Bible only says two or three. I said, no, it says it's actually expressing a minimum. In the Old Testament, you could not bring a charge against anyone unless there were at least two witnesses. Now, when Jesus raised from the dead, there were over 500 witnesses to that, which really confirmed it completely. But when you have other witnesses, a lot of people don't like witnesses because when they have witnesses, then they have to, they're judged for what they say. They have to be held to what they've said. And there's many confirmations of what they've said. Against an elder receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses, them that sin rebuke before all that others may also may fear. I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that thou observe these things without preferring one before another, doing nothing but partiality. In this day and age, that has almost completely been set aside because there are some who feel, well, when someone publicly sins, he should bury it as deeply as he possibly can. Paul says if an elder publicly sins, they should be publicly exposed. Why? Just, just to humiliate them? No. But to warn others, let them know that we, they don't get away with that. You know, when people sin in the Old Testament, God exposed them over and over again. There are some that said it's nobody else's business. There was one not too long ago who said, the Holy Ghost told me that my personal life is nobody's business. Whoa, I've got news for you. The Word of God says to be, to be an example unto the believer in all manner of living. So what they do in their private life it is somebody else's business. Now let me say that when I say that, they're still human. Does not mean they're never going to make a mistake. Does not mean they're going to come sh not, that they'll never come short. They do. He's a man, he's a called man, and he's a responsible man. Hebrews 13, verse 17. Now these are those who are called. Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they that must give an account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. Let me read that to you from the Living Bible again. Paraphrase. Obey your spiritual leaders and be willing to do what they say, for their work is to watch over your souls, and God will judge them, God will judge them on how well they do this. Give them reason to report joyfully about you to the Lord, and not with sorrow, for then you will suffer for it too. Now when he talks about spiritual leaders here, he's not talking about civil authority or temporal authority, he's talking about within the church. The authority within the church. Now, let me tell you something that, you know, a couple of weeks ago I talked to you about a Jezebel spirit, and there's a couple of things I didn't bring out. I said a Jezebel spirit is a spirit that wants to rule from behind the one who's supposed to be in authority. They are like the man is the head, but the wife is the neck that turns the head. But a Jezebel spirit will always stand behind someone and rule from behind. Uh, it's an interesting thing, though. They will tell the one in leadership what they should say and what they should do and how they should say it and how they should do it. 
And then when they go and do it, they come back and say, no, 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 that's not what I meant at all. No, no, this, this. And the frustration on the part of the leadership becomes in confusion because they, no matter what they do, when there's a Jezebel spirit, you can never do it right. You can never say it right. And I've seen many times where those who have been under the influence of a Jezebel spirit will finally say, I give up. There's no way to please you. Just forget it. Then the Jezebel spirit really gets started. Another thing about the Jezebel spirit, they hate any authority that can check their control of the one who's in leadership. Let me say that again. They stand behind the one who is supposed to be in authority and direct them from behind. This way you do, and this is what you say, and this is what you say, and this is how you say. And then if there's someone that can check that, if there's someone that's in higher authority over them, comes back and says, no, you shouldn't do that, you shouldn't say that, they immediately have real difficulty because now they're losing the control that they want to have in a typical Jezebel situation. Their next step is then to tend to belittle or discredit the authority that's above. You don't have to listen to them. There's someplace else that we can go. There's something else we can do. We won't listen to No, 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 no. Listen to me. This is what this is what the word says. Don't no, don't don't listen there. This is And they get very upset when there's spiritual that's why God has placed spiritual authority within the body. The Jezebel spirits don't like that. They want to be able to say do this, do that, do that, and then when somebody else tries to correct it, they get very upset. And the only answer is belittle or discredit true spiritual authority. Second Timothy four. We're not talking about military rule or political rule. I'm talking about spiritual authority, spiritual rule. That does not mean lording it over people. It means being the servant of all people and trying to teach them biblical principles by precept and concept, so they can walk. Follow me as I follow Christ. Second Timothy 4, 1 through 5. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing, and his kingdom, speaking to Timothy now, preach the word, the instant in season, out of season, reprove, in other words, correct. That word also means convict, if someone's wrong. Rebuke. Exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. In other words, with patience. Be very patient with people. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. They won't listen to the truth anymore. They will not listen to the truth anymore. But after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears or telling them what they want to hear. Just tell me what I'd like to hear. And they shall turn their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make, make full proof of thy ministry. Make full proof of thy ministry, Timothy. Endure, rebuke, exhort. Let me ask you something. How can I rebuke someone or how can I exhort someone if I have no authority? If you want to know what that feels like, be a school teacher today. Responsibility without authority. There's nothing more frustrating in the world. And you know that's what the baby boomers generation want to bring the church to. Where the church simply gives them what they want, not what the Word of God says. I like what radio evangelist the other day said. Uh, he was talking about uh, Gabeline, a, a great Bible teacher. He was speaking to him out in California one time, and he said, you know something I found out? He said, I, I found out if I preach on the book of Revelation, I can pack the church out. Everybody wants to know about how many hairs there are in the tail of the red horse in the book of Revelation. But he said, if I open the book of Romans and begin to talk about separation and death to self, I can empty the church. 
He says people are more interested in the Antichrist than Christ. Why? Because it doesn't tickle their ears. It eats their heart when they don't want to obey God's word. He says the average person today, if he wants to build a large church, he has to tickle ears. He can't say, thus saith the Lord. It's black and white. I've had more people say to me, yeah, I used to go to that church over there, but that, that, that preacher is a hell and damnation preacher. I thought he must be a pretty good man. He's not afraid of what men think. He says what the Word of God says. Oh, but that's condemnation. I come out of there feeling guilty. Why do you feel guilty? I feel condemned. I wonder why I feel... This is condemnation. The lights come into the world. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. What you're saying is, let me do what I want to do and you just say nice things to me. I'll well, tell you something. It isn't going to work. It's not going to wash in that day when you stand before God. You think it's fun to stand up here and teach things that I know are going to aggravate people's ears? The only way I can teach and rule in, in any body, in any, uh, any ministry, is by the Word of God. This is what the Word says. What does He do with it? You don't like this? Now, if I said something to offend you, please forgive me, but if the Word says it, you better turn around. If it's rubbing the fruit the wrong way, turn around, cat. Because there's only one way, and that's God's way by the Word of God. And the only way I can teach you and lead you is by establishing you in biblical principles. Talking with someone yesterday, I can't remember who it was, and they said, I was so frustrated. I talked to this couple, and they would say this, and I'd start to give an answer, and they'd say, But this over here, and here's another principle violated, and here's another principle violated, and here's another principle violated. It's just like you, there was no answer. Every time it's like the politics, they'll pass a law that we hate, and then they'll pass 15 laws to put roadblocks in so you can't get to that law that they pass that you hate. And then they'll put 25 more in front of that, and then pass another one that even deepens that law, and then they pass to put a whole bunch of blocks around it. That's what a lot of people are doing in their lives today with short-term decisions. And the answer, you look at them, why don't I just shoot you and let God straighten you out? You know, there is no other answer. You're too far gone. And that's what we're finding today in many of the churches. One person said, I didn't know what to do. Went to this one church and the pastor has been married three times. Three times. And he's got people all around him that are married and divorced and married. And not only that, but this problem and that problem, the other problem. I said, what are you doing there? Well, I, I just, you know, I, I enjoy that. I said, what are you doing there? Read the scriptures. Find out what the qualifications are. If I'm to be a good shepherd, here are the things I must do. First of all, I'm to feed the flock. What am I to feed them? Wood, hay, and stubble? Sawdust? Sometimes I feel about some pastors, about the Scottish man that said he was trying to raise cattle. And he said, you know, he said, I was saving money on the feed. He said, I kept mixing sawdust in with the, the feed. He said, I got it down to where I could put almost half sawdust and half feed in. It was working. I was still getting all, getting my cattle fed, but he says, they up and died on me. And there are a lot of preachers today that are trying to cut down the meat of the word and can't understand why the cows are dying on me. Feed the flock. I must inspect the flock when I see sickness and disease. I have to go in and sometimes with severe surgery say, that's got to be cut out. We can't go on with the Lord that way. And then it's my responsibility to protect you from Satan and worldliness and heresy. And there have been people that have been in the church and the pastor have come to them and said, look, I don't want that taught in this church. That's, that's not true. That's error. Here's why it's error. Don't, don't say that to our people. Don't be passing that around in the church. Don't. Uh-uh. And then I find them going around and quietly passing it around and trying to raise up more opposition. What do you think? That's a rebellion. Outright rebellion. 
And you know, it ought to be dealt with as such and understood as such. And I say to them, if you feel that's what the Word says, go find a church where they teach that. Why? Because I know what it will do eventually if the church goes in that direction. Thank God we were saved from some of the moves of God, so to speak, in the past. We were almost pulled into that submission group years ago and the Spirit of God just said, no. And I, I thought, man, the excitement, boy, the fellowship, all the, I mean, it's just fantastic. And all God's Spirit, all of a sudden the Spirit of God began to show me, this is not worshiping me, this is beginning to worship me. I pulled out of the churches that were in it today and most of them are in disaster. People got disillusioned and discouraged. Then they're supposed to love the sheep. Show affection, tenderness. And by the way, affection and tenderness is involved with love, but so is firmness. Tough love. No, I won't let you do that. There are times when, our, when we'd say to our children, others may, you may not. But why not? Because I said so. For your protection, I'm saying so. Now, will you obey? Will you submit to what I ask you to do? And then I'm supposed to lead the flock. And that does not mean drive the flock. You drive cattle, but you lead sheep. By example. I'm not the king. If I'm called of God, and I'm here, I'm not the king. I'm not... Like one wife said one time, my husband is the king, but I'm the prime minister. I'm not the king. I just know that if I'll feed you the word, you'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. If you'll submit to the authority of God's word, it may make you miserable at first, but eventually it'll make you free. See, religion puts into people's heart, if I don't do this, oh boy, I'm fearful. If I don't do this, this is going to happen, that's going to happen. See, I've got to go, I've got to go to mass. I've got to be sprinkled. I've got to do this all. That, that's fear. That's religion. That's religiosity. But knowing true Christianity is born out of love, and we don't do it out of fear. We do it because of our love for Jesus Christ. First Thessalonians, the first chapter. First Thessalonians, the first chapter and the fifth verse. Paul the Apostle said, For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance, as you know what manner of men you, we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of what? Followers of what? Of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. Second Thessalonians 3. Verses 6 through 9. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw yourselves from every brother and sister that walketh disorderly, is out of step and, and out of rank, and not after the traditions which he received of us. He said, who in the world are you to say that you're right and everybody else is wrong? Paul the Apostle said, teach it to faithful men who will teach faithful men who will teach faithful men to say the same thing that I said. And he says here, if you find someone walking disorderly or contrary to the tradition you've received of us, Get away from them. Oh, you talk about arrogance. For yourselves know how you ought to follow us, imitate us. For we behaved not ourselves disorderly among you, neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, but wrought with labor and travail night and day, that we might not be chargeable to any of you. Not because we have not power or the right or the authority but to make ourselves an example unto you to follow us. So you don't attend church because you have to. You're afraid if you don't. If you come and fellowship in the body, first of all, you believe that, that you're following one who's been called of God into a, a ministry, an office ministry. And so you attend out of love. 
You get involved in the teaching and the work of the church out of love, not because you have to. You give to the Lord's work because you believe that's where God wants you to be. And you do it not out of fear, not out of necessity, because but you believe this is what God would have you to do, and out of love you respond, and you work for the Lord in that ministry because that's where you want him to be. Now, in isms and in cults and in schisms, it's out of fear, and there's a dictatorship type of thing where you have to do this or else. 